Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to editors Aaron Casper and Jocelyn Chapu about their work on Fire of Love. Fire of Love debuted almost one year ago at the Sundance Film Festival, where the two won the Jonathan Oppenheim Editing Award. Since then, the two were nominated at the Cinema Eye Honors Awards for Best Editing and at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards for Best Editing and Best Narration. To make things even better, Fire of Love was shortlisted at the Oscars for Documentary Feature Film. Nominations for the Oscars will be announced on Tuesday, January 24th. I first just want to thank both of you for hopping on. This is so exciting um, because I, I absolutely loved Fire of Love. I think it is such a powerful story and it's one of the best, not just documentaries of the years, but um, films of the year. Um, and I just want to know what attracted you both to this particular story? Oh, if I'm being honest, this is Erin. Um, honestly, the the first thing that attracted me to the story is is the our director Sarah Dosa, who um, I've worked with before on two other films, and every time she talks about an idea for a film, I'm immediately interested because she draws such unexpected connections, you know, between themes and ideas, and so. I love the way she thinks. And I think that over the years, it's changed me, you know, for the better. And so that's always the first thing for me was, was that it was her and, and wanting to work with her and um, really being excited about her vision for the film. Definitely. And Jocelyn? Yeah, very similar for me. I had seen her films that Erin edited and I was a big fan. And I got, uh, but then the second thing that really drew me to the story is is the subject itself and, and the archive and volcanoes. Um, I met Sarah when she was in early stages of researching that film uh, or researching the archive, researching the crafts. Um, and was just, I remember telling her, I really, really hope you make that film because <laughs> it sounds incredible. And we were looking up photos and uh, some of the photos that had been already published online. And um, I was um, enchanted by what I didn't know about the craft, but, but Sarah told me there was this archive and it just, it sounded just incredible. And then of course, when, when she actually got the project off the ground, um, yeah, it's like the dream project, really. I mean, to have not only Sarah with her unique um, vision as a director, but to have that archive to, to play with, um, it checked all the boxes for sure. Yeah. And so what yeah. happens when you just, oh, oh sorry, Erin, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Oh, um, so what happens when you get this treasure trove treasure trove of an archive? How do you even begin to to just process this all and and bring it to and bring it to the screen? That was one of the biggest pleasures of the process for me. Um, I think for for all of us because it was such a never ending. It was an unending discovery. Um, the way the archive came to us was in these scanned batches of 16 millimeter film. And 
in, in all sorted out as reels, but then within the reels themselves, uh, the images were just sort of nonsensical, completely nonsensical. Um, it would be, you know, a volcano explosion in Indonesia, followed by a person walking with balloons, followed by, <laughs> you know, a monitor lizard tearing up an animal to eat, you know, and, and so even just, you know, sort of sorting that out and making sense of all of it was <laughs> just a really fun thing to sort of fall in your lap. But um, we worked with a really great archival producer, Nancy Marcotte, who researched Maurice and Katia's recorded interviews, of which I think there were at least 60, uh, starting from the early 60s, or sorry, the late 60s when they were students. So it was cool because we had, um, you know, about 30 years of, of Maurice and Katia on camera or even on radio and to, to pull from. Um, but it was, it was just such a, an exciting thing. You know, we, we had these bins in our avids that we called our gems bin <laughs> and they were our, like our favorite shots, you know, that we would sort of store away like squirrels with their nuts, and, you know, hoping to like, <laughs> find a, a special use for them at some point. Uh, yeah, and we developed a, a sort of a collective memory of the archive together because it's such a massive archive that I, I don't know about you, Erin, but my brain couldn't contain all of it. <laughs> so I had to uh, develop mnemonics and bins. Um, we, we had bins called found while looking for something else. And Again, it was just this sort of way to compartmentalize um, what we were finding, um, even when we weren't looking for it, and, and knowing that if you if you if you land on a shot, um, a lot of the shots were very short and, as Aaron said, out of order. And if you saw a special shot that you think might have a place, you would kind of put it in your back pocket um, just so that you can find it again, because you might not find it <laughs> very quickly if you go looking for it again. Um, just given the nature of how how the material was um, scanned and and organized, um, so it, I think yeah, it was really like a, a, a tr we we received it in batches as well over the course of many months, and so it was like receiving a treasure chest, <laughs> but a, a digital one. But um, there really was this sense of what's coming next, you know, this question mark. And often we had, we started developing these wish lists as well as we were working on scenes, wondering if there might be more material from that expedition in the next batch. And sometimes we would find a piece of a shot that had been maybe cut at some point in the past by Maurice or Katya and, and had been like re-spliced together and preserved on a different reel. Um, and so often you would get these shots that were clearly from the same original role of film, but then wound up in the archive stored on, on different reels. Um, so there's a bit of that, that surprise factor as well of, of finding additional material that you didn't know existed um, down the road. Um, yeah, one of my favorite stories is finding, uh, there's that scene where their pants, it's in the, late 60s and they're going up to, um, is it Etna? No, not Etna, to uh, the other Italian volcano. Oh, um, Stromboli. 
Stromboli, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're going up to Stromboli and their pants are ripping and it's comical. And there's this shot that zooms into, I think it's the bottom of Katya's pants and they're, they're patched. And at one point I found an additional four frames or four to six frames of that shot. And you can see on the first frame of it, there's the wax crayon marking where someone had edited that footage and, and spliced off that additional four frames, but then had the prescience to, to not toss that out, but to actually collect, keep it and save it. And, and who knows, I mean, for posterity. Um, but that was one of my favorite discoveries was <laughs> finding an additional, yeah, six frames of the, of the torn pants. And uh, if you were to look at the film and, and pot and play it frame by frame, you'll see that little wax crayon marking. Uh, we kept it in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. now I have a job to do after this, so I, I'll have to go take a look. Aaron, were there any sort frame... of, oh, sorry, Jocelyn. Oh, I was just gonna say, but yeah, six frames makes a difference uh, as far yeah. as com comedic timing and, and just having that additional beat to appreciate something. And Aaron, were there sort of any unexpected um, sort of treasures or nuts that you found that you were able to <laughs> to bring in to this? Oh gosh, I mean, honestly, you know, not to just so many. I think one of the most challenging scenes to edit was when Maurice and Katia go to uh, Krakatau in 1979 in Indonesia, and really just combing through and finding, just trying to like piece together that trip took a long time. And we worked with a really great assistant editor, Victor Helwani, who we actually would assign, we would have him take the reels that we thought were relevant and then what do what we called um, unscrambling. <laughs> and so sort of place them into um, the shots into a certain order that we were kind of hoping for. And, I remember scrolling through um, scrolling through those those reels so many times, and maybe after like the third or fourth time, finding this like shot of Maurice and Katia arriving at the at the at the volcano itself, and the camera is on on the boat itself, and it pans over to the beach in this like perfect way. And I I was like, I swear I didn't see this, but it was tucked at the very very end of a reel. And it was like the the shot that I needed to show that they had arrived, you know, and it was just like, yes, you know, <laughs> and every, every shot really felt that way in the editing because really hard earned every frame, as Jocelyn says, was, was um, hard earned, you know, in, in the combing through and sifting through because what we would often, the way we would often start out with each scene was this long Google doc of writing. And, you know, and what that, and that was um, writing based on the research that we were doing and culling through, you know, Maurice and Katya's nearly 20 books that they authored, as well as like a paper cut of their um, transcripts, you know, their audio and television interviews. And so those would go in, into these like pages long, you know, <laughs> sort of a, a, script, a paper script and then, Oftentimes it would really, all of that would kind of go out the window once you, once we actually got to look at the footage and, and like, and then 
between those two, between the paper script and then the footage itself, like we have this hand motion, which is, of course you you can't see, but like it's if you imagine like two hands like dialing in different directions, <laughs> it's like it, it was a calibration of like, okay, here's the writing, but then here's like the footage that we can use. And that is how we kind of like would create a screenplay for each scene. So, you know, every shot was like, yes, we have it, we have the thing. And you know, this this, you know, it it created this feeling of like building a bridge that you were walking across as you were building it one plank at a time, you know, you know, just like finding the perfect shot and then like, you know, sort of like Jocelyn and I sort of marrying our ideas in the middle to like, you know, bridge the ideas. Mm -hmm. And what was it like editing an editor, basically? It seems as though those two are, are editors in and of themselves. So what was it like editing on top of already edited material? It's a great question. <laughs> uh, and, and I love that question because the, the, like the way we received their material, the archive itself had a lot of their films in it and then had a lot of, of reels that were question marks. Like these look edited, but are they, or are they just kind of sweepings of the cutting room floor? And then we had other reels that looked like maybe virtually untouched. Like it seemed like they were as filmed and never had been uh, handled or like never had been manipulated or, or um, sorry, not manipulated, but uh, used in any edits. So the, the material itself was um, at times like seemed like, oh, this reel has never been in an edit room before or has never been loaded into the reel to reel that they used. Um, and at other times it was very much their film. Um, but a lot of the films that they edited, the, the ones we received had no sound because they were films that they would um, present during lecture tours. And so they would be speaking under the film as they're presenting it to a live audience. Um, so just a bit more context around what kind of films of theirs we were, we received. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely that that sort of that intimacy or that connection you feel as you're looking at their footage and looking at their work and, and reading their words and, and inferring maybe what they were intending uh, to do with the footage, even the footage that didn't make it in their own films. You could tell um, in the nature of, of how it was shot, that there was very much a filmmaking intention behind the material. It wasn't just documentation for documentation's sake. They very much intended to um, format it to share with the public. Um, I mean, we loved, we, <laughs> I don't know if we ever had a bin for this, but we loved like the, the instances where they would perform uh, volcanology and uh, do multiple takes of, of the work that they were doing um, just to really convey field work. For the public and and so they at times uh turned into performers um and that that seemed special and seemed like if anything we were um sort of extending the the sort of intended um uh like a purpose of their footage um in 2020 <laughs> 2021 yeah. um yeah no it was really yeah there's something special about it and we always thought of them as, as our guides, um, not necessarily, we can, we can never call them our collaborators because we don't, we didn't have access to them, but um, yeah. 
we tried to always, it, it almost was like a triangulation where you're always looking for clues and you're wondering it, like you're kind of sometimes thinking of, of their footage and their words as breadcrumbs that they left or clues as to um, what they were trying to communicate. I'll say one more thing about that. Um, there, there's one shot in particular that, or series of shots that I noticed in the, um, a lot of their footage around those ashy gray volcanoes. Um, there were a lot of shots of their feet, like stepping on the ash and patting the ash with, the, with, with their feet. And because they had such a sense of humor, I thought that they were just very like amused by the texture of the ash and the way that it kind of undulated under the foot. Because <laughs> there's a comical, there's something almost comical about, they're like these locked off close-ups and a foot just comes in and and kind of pats the ash and it, it bounce like it kind of undulates. And I thought, oh, like they're 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 just really um, awestruck or like they're just really engrossed by the texture of this ash and they're uh, kind of playfully showing us the way it looks. And then reading their books, um, there was a section in in at least one of their books about how hot it is underneath that kind of ash, like immediately after an eruption, it's actually like the, you don't have to go very far down um, to get to reach very high temperatures. And also there's a lot of gas trapped in that ash. And the only way to safely, or at least, or the, the, the best way to mitigate the risk of sinking is to sort of pat it down before you mm -hmm. take a step. And so reading that you, you then realize that you then see the footage with this new lens you understand that they were actually trying to demonstrate how how to walk in, uh. that, in that kind of field um where where you can't really tell how far down it goes so you have to make sure that the gases are released so that oh. you don't sink yeah <laughs> so but at first glance because i'm not a volcanologist myself i just thought oh this looks really cool um, and they're just trying to show us how it looks, but it's not just that they're, they're showing a methodology as well. A safety method. Yeah. 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 That was, that was one of the greatest pleasures of the editing process was uncovering those clues and, and those, that intentionality in their shooting. Cause, because there was no sync sound, you know, we, we didn't have like sort of an immediate sense of why they were shooting what they were shooting. And so it required sort of um, going even further outside of the frame, you know, to their books, to their interviews, uh, and sort of piecing it together. And whenever we could put anything in the film through the narrator, usually um, to, you know, send your eye to, to show you like what they were doing, it was sort of a layer of writing that we had where it was like very specific and very detailed on sort of the scientific level. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was so satisfying. Like there's a moment where, you know, in what, in what we call the sort of myth-making section where we really deliberately do that, where, you know, we show, for instance, like, you know, we have so many shots, we had so many shots in the archive of Katya walking around in like these like long zoom outs or like her standing next to things. And we came to realize like she's she's standing there so you can see how big things are next to her. And she's, you know, quite small, but she but you can still get a sense, you know, of with like her in the frame. Or like, you know, I love this part in uh, when we're talking about 
you know, volcanology as, you know, a science of observation and, you know, and showing them talking, I think it's that section, um, but, you know, really even just drawing your eye toward like the color of the lava and that demonstrating its temperature, for instance. And, you know, that is something that they're actually recording as data. It's not just a beautiful, you know, awe-inspiring shot. It's, it's, this is information that they're taking back and studying later for themselves, but then also sharing with what they call desk volcanologists. Um, mm. You know, people who actually, uh, the vast majority of volcanologists don't go out into the field like Maurice and Katya do. They, you I know, love so that. they're, they're, yeah, they're sharing, they're, they're taking these images so they can study them later, which is actually something that follows in line with the tradition of volcanology. It's, it's I like to always think of it as like people who, eccentrics who like leave their home <laughs> and, you know, go out into the field and, and just observe. And, you know, before cameras, they were, painting, they were drawing what they saw, you know, and bringing them back. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that, that it's not, the, you just can capture all this information and in sort of like one shot per se, but it takes decades and centuries to actually understand what the, the real implications to these things are. So I, I, I love that on top of, I mean, just the, the aspect of the two themselves, um, just to understand truly what does this mean for us as a whole and as a society? So it, it, I love that aspect to it. Um, but in my last question to you guys, I mean, this premiered at Sundance almost a year ago today, and you guys are just were Oscar shortlisted last week for best documentary. What has this trip sort of just been like for you guys? And what do you what do you take away from this project? I think that uh, truly it's been being able to, to uh, well, first of all, we've, we've actually been touring with the film longer than we actually got to work on it. <laughs> um, so so for, for me, it's been an extended um, experience that I've really treasured to, to continue to, to be with Jocelyn and Sarah and our producers, you know, Shane and Ina, and and to be able to to go out into the world with it, we we made this film, you know, at the height of the pandemic, and we were all holed up together in Sarah's house, and <laughs> and making it, and not very many people saw the film before it premiered too. So it really was just, uh, you know, part of the pun, but it's like, it was an explosion for us. Um, so it's, it's really been such a dream, especially as an editor, because I think sometimes when you finish working on a film, you, you cross the finish line and then it's like the baby leaves the home, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes you get to go to the premiere or you go to, to the premiere, but then beyond that, it has its own life. It doesn't belong to you. So it's, um, it's been this really wonderful experience to be able to like um, be with crowds, especially, and and sit in in all of these different venues, and and we often sit for the first maybe five or ten minutes, and I still get emotional seeing the first images of recent Katya standing, at, you know, together and in every venue, and I've you know sort of been taking as many photos as I could, as I can, 
collecting them um, of Maurice and Katya on their own tour. And that's been personally satisfying, just like kind of thinking of them, you know, being with us and, you know, sometimes wondering what they would make of all of this and, and um, you know, hoping that, I think that they would get a kick out of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they were touring the world as well in the, in the 70s and 80s um, and touring their images and presenting them to the public. And, and now they're on another tour again, which is, um, yeah, it's really, it's special, especially given, um, there's something about geologic imagery that doesn't, you, it doesn't really age. It's just beyond our kind of time frame as as mortal humans. And looking at imagery of lava, I don't think this is lava in the '70s. I just think this is lava. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and and I think being able to share that kind of, I mean, yeah, as Aaron was saying, we we edited this mostly at least like half of it under lockdown and then under some sort of semi lockdown at, at our director Sarah's house. And it was such a, a small, very, very, very quiet edit in a sense. Um, and then to have it, to, to be wowed by that kind of material and then to be able to share that with, with the public um, and, and share that wow factor, I think. It reminds me of like when you listen to like a really good album and you just want to share it with as many people as possible and just like share in that um, sense of wonderment. Um, that's, I think one of the things about this film that and the release of the film that's been so special and is just is just being able to share the feeling that the footage and the, the material gave us and the, and the story of the crafts. It was such a, a wonderful, escape for us um, or a refuge during the pandemic to have mm-hmm. to be able to work on this story and, and then and um, I mean really kind of reframed a few things for me as far as thinking about um, time on earth and um, and and so it's a film that I'm just so happy that we get to share because I just genuinely love the film <laughs> and mm-hmm. and love what what like what it how, how people, what, what people have been telling us, the kind of feedback we've been getting um, as people leave the screening, it's really, um, yeah, it's really been gratifying. Um, so yeah, it's, if anything, it's just made me that much more motivated to, to work on films like that, that I really, really, really want to share. You know, sometimes you work on a film and you're satisfied with it and you kind of just turn turn a page and move on to the next project. but working on a film like this that um I don't know it just it, it kind of hits this note for me that I just really want to keep hitting in the future hopefully yeah absolutely um, yeah I love both of those answers and I I'm so thankful for the time we've got to spend today just to talk about a film I I do love and um I'm glad that it's made its way out into the world and now on a huge streaming platform so it's it's just wonderful to see and we'll continue to see how much it continues to grow um, over the course of time. So I want to thank you guys both so much, one, for your craft and two, for your time today, because this is this has been a really special chat. Thank, thank you, you for having us. It's it's always just so special to talk about this process and, you know, borrow a little bit more time 
with Jocelyn. And um, so I appreciate you having us. Of course. We very much do. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.